Lord, we just um, pray against anything that would move us from a place of settledness in your spirit this morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here, and we invite your Holy Spirit to do uh, whatever he wants to do, whatever you want to do, Lord. We ask that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. How many have prayed that prayer, Lord, have your way? Okay. (laughs) Once. Yeah, smart man. No. (laughs) No, he's a smart man, but... uh, Yeah, we pray that prayer, don't we, quite often. Sounds good, doesn't it? Let's be honest, it does sound good. And I feel good when I pray that prayer. Because I feel like, oh, I am am taking this control and I am surrendering it over here. That's what we hope happens, correct? Now, today we're going to talk about some things that are familiar to us, like that prayer. Lord, have your way. Most Christians know that prayer have heard that prayer. One of the things, one of the words I've been hearing all week is this word oversaturation. I've been hearing that from Christians. You know, when they hear something that is truth, they've heard it so many times, they kind of go, I'm a little oversaturated with that phrase or that language. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, right? And sometimes the frequency in which we hear something can we can take that and let it dilute the truth of it. Some go, I don't want to hear that religious jargon. Yes, I know Jesus died for me. And da, 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 da. That's religious jargon? Well, we hear it so much, we can dismiss it. And it's amazing how the enemy will take frequency, the frequency in which we talk about truth and try to get us to a place where we'll dismiss it because we hear it so much and it's our answer for everything. Well, we're going to be in a passage today in Romans 5 that we've all heard or most of us have heard and it will be easy to go, I know what that means and dismiss it, but we can't dismiss it. So this is my caution. You hear the caution? Okay, we all hear it? This section over here? All sections? Okay, because we're in this chapter of Romans and chapter five of our series of sitting in the tension. And remember that tension being in life, uh, life tests what you know, amen? It tests what you know. And oftentimes we're presented with a couple of choices. I can go left and I can go right. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says there's ups, down, diagonal, this and that. There's a lot of things in Jesus that are on the table that we didn't see until we entered into his presence. That's why we have this this journey through Romans to begin with. And here in chapter 5, Mark and Sharon started out while I was away. And I heard did a wonderful job. And, and we hear Paul spend a lot of time in this chapter talking about the love of Jesus seen through his death and resurrection for our sins. And he compares later in the chapter, which we'll go through in a few weeks, the presence of Adam and the presence of Jesus and their similarity because they both ushered something in. Adam ushered in what? Sin. Jesus ushers in what? Salvation, reconciliation for all people who choose. For all people who choose Jesus, there is reconciliation. So we'll see in this passage this morning 
something that um, first service kind of hit me fresh and really bothered me. And it was bothering me in a good way. But how even myself, um, I would say I'm, I'm really passionate about Jesus. I love him. I want to be where he is. And even the most simplest things I can still miss and dismiss. And I realized a little, I, I have a little bit with this passage. And so here's what I want to read for you this morning. In verse 6, we're just going to go verse 6 through 8. And I was flirting with doing more. And I thought, well, I need to do more in just two verses. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Because that would be what? That would be dismissing some of the power in this passage. For me, it would have been. So here's where we're going to camp. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly die. But God demonstrates, he models, he shows us his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what? Finish it for me. Christ died for us. Who's heard that passage? Wow, we hang our hats on that. I'm going to read it one more time. Lord, what do you want to say to us afresh? And new. What do you want to show us this morning that we wouldn't pay attention to before, or you want us to pay more attention to today? You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a monumental statement and reality. And one that we can, with our own approach to it, dilute and dismiss. And take it as, yes, I know that. But what does that look like in my daily life? And we'll talk about grace. We will embrace, even try to embrace grace. And those are things that we need to learn to accept and try to continue to engage in their important things. But here's what happens in my own life. And so I'm just going to share a little bit of my story. And you can tell me if you relate to it. But I know that I have a hard time with that God died for all the ungodly. And I know that includes me. Theologically, I know that. I know that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when I see someone massacre students in a school and laughs about it, I'm not in that bucket. I'm not that kind of ungodly. Don't lump me in with that kind of person. When you see these atrocities happen and we go, whoa. Some of us get angry at God. Some of us ask questions, why is this happening? Mine goes, why do you love them? Now I know, again, I know, theologically my sin is just as great because sin separates us from him. It distances us. We're choosing something that isn't him. And what, how do you feel when you sin? You feel good? No. 
because you've chosen in that moment not to be with him. And it feels terrible. But I will, we all judge every day. We make good judgments and we make bad judgments. But we will meet people every day. We will encounter people every day. And we do this, we all do this. We go, we assess what that encounter was like. Yes? Oh, I met so-and-so. That was great. They were really nice. They bought me coffee. It made me feel uncomfortable, but it was good. Oh, I met with so-and-so. I don't like them. They are not my kind of people. You wouldn't say that? (laughs) And then you've got the one that it's now become a word, but I used it as a sound effect. You got those people you encounter, and you go, meh. (laughs) Meh. But we do, we silo people. We put them in their buckets. And as Christians, we do the same thing. We go, man, people abroad who don't have water, who don't have food, we need to attend, attend to them. Yes, we do. And we want to shower God's love. But what about the guy laughing at the people he just destroyed? Because we just read that God died for him too. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to accept that and receive that and go, we're still the same as far as sin is concerned. That, I have a problem with that because I don't understand. Logically, that doesn't make sense for me. And logically, it doesn't make sense even with my sin that he would love me. Does it make sense to you? When you look at, I'm not talking about when you look at Really focus on Jesus and then you begin to accept it. I'm talking about when you look at it with your logical created brain. Does it make sense that Jesus would die for you and me when you know the things that you think? You know the things that you have done. You have know the places where you've not been faithful and you have been faithful. But you, know, you have all that information. Does it make sense? Because it doesn't to me. It makes no sense. I want to receive his love and I want to see my version of justice and those people, okay, he loves, but I want to see my justice be done. And not looking that love itself is justice. Because I'll tell you what, if, if that person, that kid, I don't remember his name, or anyone else in that situation for a moment opens their heart to God, do you think God takes advantage of those opportunities? You better believe it. but it's hard for me to be lumped in with that. Because you know what I do? When I do something wrong, I want to do something right so I can feel better about it. I want distance from the bad things that I've done. And I will do right things to undo wrong things, and then I will say I'm not in that bucket anymore because I've done the right things, and I will call it grace. That's what I'll call it. I, I know I'm saved by grace, but I feel a lot better when I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> I do. But guess what? It doesn't become about a relational love response to Jesus. It becomes about self-preservation. Because I want to preserve any semblance of liking myself when I look myself in the mirror. If I do a few right things, maybe then... I will feel better, but all the while preaching up here about grace. How can that happen? But we do that. 
Now, I've talked a few weeks ago, we talked about the earning stuff, but we got to talk about it again because what it does when we try to earn and feel better about the bad things we've done by doing good things, and we can say it's for Jesus, we can say, you know, it's in Jesus' name, and that's all well and good, and it affects people in a positive way, and that's great. We want to serve, we want to affect people's lives, we want to do good things, but I'm talking about the inner motivation and proximity to Jesus. We want to fix the things that we've done wrong by doing right things, and you can't do it. Only that can do it. And it's for everybody, whether you like them or not. It's for everybody who will choose to repent and say yes to Jesus, to change course because they've met the one. But again, we have this human component where we want to fix it. We know grace fixes us internally or for eternal eternity. So what about now? I got a grace is for eternity. That gets me into heaven. What about now? Let's do some good things. Let's serve and do good things. And then I can feel better. And I'm not saying there aren't people that serve out of a love response. Of course there are. And we all have at one time or another. I'm talking about making sure that we sit in attention with Jesus because it's easy when we go off the beaten path when we're trying to abide in Christ and we don't, it's easy to want to rectify that on our own strength. I've seen the most mature Christians that I look up to do it. We all do it. No one is exempt. And just oddly enough, Around the same time, last weekend, I was invited to, uh, to speak, be the speaker at this two-day conference in a culture that is not my culture <laughs> on serving with excellence. Now, I'll tell you, the, the, oh, how do I say this? This is just me, okay? I know my faults, <laughs> but the, the person in me that gags a little bit with religious stuff like that. I cringed when I heard it. Serving with excellence, and you thought of me? <laughs> but again, I'm projecting my own frustrations with that phrase. Okay? But I went down there in uh, southern Illinois on the border of Kentucky, different culture, to a Pentecostal church, which I, lo- I love that, you know, I love it when people say stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, good stuff. Let me be clear on that. You stink. I love it. Bring it. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And the, the, the senior pastor there is a friend of mine. And, and I, I, I asked him why he wanted me to make sure that, you know, it's God. And, you know, I'm down because I'm not going to talk about uh, um, serving with excellence as far as task and just doing a good job. I can't do that. It's just not me. Do we want to do a good job at things we do? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that can never be the sole focus. Well, anyways, I get down there, and it's called Little Chapel Church. That's not so little. That's not the whole phrase. It, little Chapel Church, that's the name of it. It's not so little. <laughs> Huge. Size of a Costco. And I got a little nervous. I don't usually get, like, scared and nervous, but I got a little nervous. They have these big screens, and you're on those screens while you're talking. You know, you can see yourself, and it's, like, weird. 
And they bring in this, this band. I didn't know who they were, but they've been all over the place. You know, you're just kind of like, and I, you know, ignorance, I don't know who they are. And, but great guys. And they, they, uh, they get ready to lead worship. And the first night, and we're there, and they're leading, and it's amazing. And it's really good. I'm like, ooh. And now, I'm, you know, I'm getting warmed up. I'm getting ready. And for those of you who know me, that means I have to go to the bathroom like six times before I get up there. And then I've got to stretch in the most awkward times and places. That's just my shtick. I don't care. I need to stretch or I'll lock up because I move a lot. So I'm ready to go. And one of the guys in the band, is, he's in the presence and he's singing and then he starts preaching. I'm like, ooh, this is good. And then my buddy looks down at me because he's a big guy. <laughs> and he starts laughing. I go, what's so funny? He goes, that's exactly what you're preaching on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he just said it verbatim. And I'm going, now... I'm going to pe- preach three or four times, so I'm thinking, maybe I need to prepare for this one, you know, and get the, get the three kind of fluid. And this derailed everything, derailed everything. So I felt the Lord say, remember, you, you be you, I'll be me, and yoke to me, and we'll be good. We'll just do our thing. Okay, sweet. I can see myself. You know that, right, Lord? I can see myself. This is, this is a little different. It feels a little different. No difference. So... I just got up there and I did do what we do here. And we talked about serving with excellence and that it's a love response for his love for us. It's what it is. And proximity to him, because there's nothing that we can do perfectly or task wise that can do what Jesus did for us. There's nothing. And our response to service has to be from that place of knowing I can do nothing, but just say yes to Jesus. And it gives everything I do meaning because really serving with excellence is accepting the grace that he has poured out on us. It's nothing you can earn. It's nothing you can do that will rewrite your past except to say yes to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't rewrite your past. He writes your future. And he gives you healing from your past. That's a good God. I don't usually um, read a lot of commentaries because I get frustrated with them sometimes. <laughs> but I was reading one this week, and I want to share something with you that I thought was well put in regards to this, in regards to the grace that God has for us. About verses 6 through 8, this is what the commentary said. Christ's love is grounded in God's free grace. And is not the result of any inherent wholeness found in humanity. In fact, it is lavished on us in spite of our undesirable character. Let me say that again. Christ's love is grounded in God's free grace and is not the result of any inherent wholeness found in humanity. In fact, it is lavished on us in spite of our undesirable character. So it's saying here, do all the good things you want to do. It does not change God's love for you. It does not change his grace. Does that mean he wants us to continue to do things that would hurt ourselves and separate us from? No. But what he's saying is you don't have to behave your way into relationship with him. You can't. He's going to love you regardless. If you're trying to earn your way, it's not for him. It's for you. Because we want to preserve ourselves, but the cross has already preserved us if we say yes to him. It already has. 
And it's for everybody. Those that even if they had eternity couldn't unwrite the atrocities that they've done. I don't know how I could respond in forgiveness if someone took my children. I would like to say I would want to be able to. Because you can't, for me, and my mind, and my heart, fix that. How can you fix that? How can you write that kind of wrong with that? And only with that. This is profound because it's everything. And it's something we must accept even when it doesn't make sense. And I know in my heart, you see on the news, there's never good news. And when I read it, I get angry. And what I want to do is picture for a moment my justice on those people, and I feel a little better. But when God's saying, what I've given to you is also meant for them, that changes my heart, and it makes me mad. But then I begin to accept it, and then I begin to see something different, because it's no longer my eyes looking at that person. So I asked during first service, or between services, I don't remember when it was, Mark, you can... Fill us in later. But it was hitting me so personally, and I said, Lord, I don't know why. I still don't know why. I know theologically why. I don't get it. I, need, I don't need like some great verbal answer from you. I need something to connect what I read here and what I see, and it somehow connect me here. So he gave me a picture of something, and I want to share it with you, and you take it or leave it, but it helps me understand God's heart. I have a baby girl, my second one. And when, and when I held her for the first time, she did all her chores. She did all these great things for me, and she lavished me with gifts. No. She pooped on me. She cried. She peed. She said, you're not going to sleep. And I loved her more than I could love anything. With every breath. That my lungs could produce. So I began to think about that. Because I felt that with each one of my kids. And even if someone's not your child, God gives us the capacity to love that way, even if they're not your own child. But do you understand what love I'm, I'm talking about? And so every night before I go to bed, I go into my kids' rooms. Because when when, you, when your, your, your wife is pregnant, I mean, even before she's, you start praying for your kids. And when they get here, now you're really praying for your kids because behavior <laughs> and misbehavior is on the horizon. And I go in and I just look at them. And I thank God for them. And then I begin to pray for them. But then I begin to think about their attitudes that day. And there are some days that are better than others. Amen. Some days where you're just going, what? And you don't want to look at them. But it's important for me to go and see them because nothing's influencing them. They're at rest. They're at peace. And in that moment, I begin to see something and experience something. 
No behavior. If they were the worst human beings on planet, could stop the flow of love that comes from my heart to them. None. Because parenthood is not a human thing, it's a God thing. And we are meant to love as he does, which is unconditionally, meaning that behavior does not condition how much I love my kid. And I wouldn't... I'm just being honest, would never give my kids up for anyone here, but I would give my life for them, no matter their behavior. Because they're mine. And you're his. And if you want to know why he would die for you, that's why. And his love, no matter if you turn your back on him, his love is still there. He loves you. Despite what our bumper stickers say and what we might preach, he loves you with a love that doesn't make sense. You can't logically figure it out. We have to come to a place as the church where Christ is the head is where we accept it and we live in grace and we can pray for the one who's easy to pray for and pray for the one we don't ever want to see again. It is not our place to put people in buckets. It's our place to be an example of grace. And it's hard, and I don't want to do it. But when I say yes to him, it's all I can do. And it becomes something I want to do because I want them to know what I know. And hear and sense and feel what I hear and sense and feel. You see, just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love. He demonstrates who he is. For us in this, while we were still sinners, ungodly, powerless, he died for you. He died for me. So that we might know him. So we might know the love that he has so freely lavished on us. Because we are his. And we're going to spend every breath of our lives on this side of heaven trying to accept that. And not try to earn it. But if we can accept it, even for a moment, Watch out. Because in verse 5, it says, Holy Spirit shows the love of God, ministers the love of God in our lives. And if we can accept it, we'll get healing from the past and hope for the future. And we'll see something that you can't write in a book because we don't have the imagination to comprehend the depths of God's love for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. And that feels oh, so underwhelming to say those words because it doesn't capture how grateful and thankful we are. But it's what we have, so we say thank you. And I pray our thankfulness will be seen how we love people, how we sit with people, how we love those 
who we feel don't deserve to be loved, yet you love them still. We thank you that this gift of grace seen through your son dying on the cross for us who said to you, to the people tormenting him, forgive them for they know not what they do. Gosh, we thank you. We don't want to be a condoning church and we don't want to be a condemning church. We want to be your church led by your spirit where you are the head. We want to sit in the challenges of the circumstances around us in a way that shows and reveals your glory Pray, God, that we would never try to steal your glory anymore. We will not steal your glory. We will not. We will not cheapen it. He will not try to rob you of it. For you are worthy of all glory and honor. This passage doesn't speak just about us it speaks all about you as we continue this morning in worship and through communion in which we remember and accept and know what you've done for us and what you continue to do in us and through us pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. A truth not diminished because of how many times we've heard it, because of repetition or oversaturation, but truth that is bright and brilliant and transforms us because it's who you are, your truth. And we continue to trust you even when we don't understand. Because there will be more about you that we will never understand than what we will. So we're just going to stay with you and let you lead. And I thank you that you don't lead without the yoke, that you keep us with you. pray as we take our tithes and offerings this morning it would come from a place of you are worthy and we honor you so Lord we surrender we surrender this building this church family we surrender our expectations our agendas everything because we want to say with confidence have your way about you and we glorify you. We glorify you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
We thank you, our God, that you sent your only son to die for us, that we could have eternal life and we could have a life that is full in you. You didn't consider yourself, but you went after us and you still chase after us with a never-ending love. We praise you, God.
mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Now sing it out. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, how 